so uh, uh, nine years ago, uh, this summer, I lost my father, okay, uh, 48 years old. You guys have heard that story before. Um, and then God chose to give me another father uh, just about a year later, one of the hardest seasons of our lives, losing my father, Aiden being born, which becoming a parent, you know what I mean? By, by that, it can be difficult. No, it's just a whole new territory of life. But then also having to leave a church because of a situation that was happening outside of our control. God brought Pastor Ted into my life as a spiritual dad. And he has, he has given me the ability to mess up, the ability to be unsure, the ability to really not know the future. Uh, to not be a, a great youth pastor and then associate pastor and then just associate and family pastor. Like, he gave me that freedom. And the reason why uh, we're here today is partly and a lot mostly because of the conversations and the, the belief that Pastor Ted has had in my life. He dedicated, you know, uh, us at the beginning of church, of, of the foundry, and I uh, really wanted him to come back so you can hear him speak. Uh, years, seven and a half years we were there, set under the, uh, his ministry, and uh, never a dull moment when you will sit and listen to him speak. He's like, great, now you're blowing me up. Um, but Pastor Ted is the man, and he, he's my dad in a lot of ways where God has just blessed me uh, with him. And he, every week I call to let him know what's going on. So every week he's praying for you. He's praying for your stories and the things that God's done in your life. He's been praying for you. So you've got somebody in your corner over in Baltimore and also obviously here um, and Morgantown, but without further ado, I just want to welcome Pastor Ted Manning and uh, make him feel at home. Come on, there you go. Well, I'm so excited to be here today. It's, I say, it's my privilege to be um, their, his spiritual dad, and and I, I have boys myself, so I claim Kara as mine too. And I I got to be there when. Allie was born, and when Aiden was born, or not Aiden, but uh, Andy was born, and, and I love these guys, and, and I want you to know they are real. They are real. I, I'm a guy who's grown up in the ministry. My grandfather was a minister. My father was a minister. It was the last thing that I wanted to be. You know, a lot of people don't go to church because they've been to church, and they saw a lot of war stories and ugly stuff in church, and I saw all of that, but you know, God had a calling on my life, and so I've seen a lot of things in church. But one thing I want you to know is that your pastors are real. They are real people. And what you see is what you get with them. And uh, it's been my privilege to do life on life with them. And it's been my privilege before you guys ever came to be to hear his heart as we sat in my office or as we sat at a restaurant, which we sat at too many restaurants, <laughs> and uh and just heard how God was beginning to develop a vision in his heart. And uh, I want you to know that you have a future destiny that is greater than your current reality. You know, that's why no matter where you are, you need to keep on walking. Nudge that person by you and say, keep on walking. Keep on walking. You know, we walk by faith and not by sight. So a lot of times we're not going to see what God is putting in our heart. But if we keep on walking, then what we do see eventually will be immeasurably greater than anything that we could imagine or anything that we could come up with or anything that we could even pray about. And that's what I want to talk to you all this morning about. And I want you to go with me in your Bibles and your manufacturer's handbooks, if you have those, to Ephesians chapter number 3, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Now, the, the context of this is that Paul uh, had, 
had planted this church in Ephesus, okay? Um, on his missionary journey, he had planted it. He had started it. And it had such an amazing impact that literally they were putting the idol makers out of business. One of the main industries in this town was the making idols to worship the goddess Diana. And Christianity so came in because Jesus said, I'm going to build a church that the gates of hell can't prevail against, that people started turning away from idols and turning to God. And the idol makers got freaked out because they saw their livelihood going down the toilet, so to speak, and they created a riot. And so, you know, Paul had planted and he had pastored these guys and, uh, and his spiritual son, Timothy, was now pastoring this church of Ephesus. And Paul is currently writing this passage from prison. Okay, I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what circumstance you are in. God is always bigger than your circumstance. And the size of your prayers reveal the size of your faith. And so in the middle of this this book of, of Ephesians, Paul starts praying a prayer for them. And when you really care for people, don't you pray for them? I say this, if you want to increase your prayer life, have children. Okay? And it doesn't matter how old they get, they're always your kids. I mean, I have three sons, 33, 31, and 25, and and I pray about those dudes all the time. I, I kind of like to have a time where I didn't need to pray for them, you know? Sometimes I want them to pray for me sometimes, you know? And uh, I know that time will come. But Paul is praying a prayer for these people. And it starts in verse number 14 of chapter number 3. But he gets to the end of this, and, and this passage is what's called a doxology or a punctuation mark. It's, it's how he's ending his prayer. And, and he starts out with the word now. Because you see, all of us have a once were. All of us have stuff that happened to us. All of us have a past. If you knew my past, you wouldn't sit here and listen to me. If I knew your past, I wouldn't stand up here and talk to you. So we all have a past, you know, we all have baggage, we all have stuff that we brought into this equation, and all of us have a future, and sometimes when we think about our future, it can be scary. But the bottom line is, what are you doing right now, okay? What are you doing right now, okay? And, and so Paul comes into this prayer, and, and I love, in this prayer, you know, it is his heart's desire to see these people experience everything that God has for them. And so actually, in verse number 19, before we start our passage, he, he prays that they will be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, the word filled here is the Greek word playroom, and it literally means to fill in hollow or empty places. How many of you ever feel like Swiss cheese, you know? You ever feel like somebody got out a shotgun and you got hit with every buckshot there was and that you were just, you know, leaking out. You had a good service. You got under the spot where the glory comes out. You got a quiver in your liver and a jut in your strut, crack in your back and a skip in your hip at church, man. And you walked out and all of a sudden you went out into the nasty here and now and you just started leaking everywhere, you know. And that's the problem, you know. We leak, don't we? We do. Okay, especially when we get older, and I won't go there, okay? <laughs> Woo, baby, you got to watch that, okay? They have things you can wear for that, though, <laughs> okay? I'm sorry. But sometimes we just feel like we got empties in our life. And I want you to know that he has a feeling for every empty in your life. The, the southern Greek 
a way this word breaks down. It means cram full, cram full. And so Paul is praying for these folk. And he says, I want you to be crammed full of everything that God is. Okay? And then after he prays that, he goes into his doxology. And he says this, Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask for or even imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Awesome, awesome prayer, awesome promise, awesome truth. Now, the first thing that I want to do is ask you two questions, okay? Two questions. First of all, what do you pray about the most, okay? What do you pray about the most? When you start praying, what one thing always comes up, okay? How many of you know what I'm talking about, okay? You can be praying about this, but eventually this comes back up, okay? Now, maybe for some of you, it's your marriage. For some of you, it's your kids. For some of you, it is a physical chronic illness that you have. Maybe for others, it's a habit. Maybe it is a secret sin. For others, it might be an ambition or a dream or a desire. But whenever you start praying, eventually you're going to, your prayers are going to go in that direction. What do you pray about the most? Now, the second question that I want to ask you is, what do you dream about happening in your life? If you could have something amazing happen to you, what would it be? When you're thinking about your life, when you begin to dream and desire and long for something, what is it you want to see happen in your life? Okay? Now, unfortunately, a lot of people, even in church, have lost their ability to dream. They went into life with an ideal, okay? Now, I'm talking to some of you older folk. How many of you remember when you, you were young? Come on, you know? You remember when you were young? Weren't we awesome? Man, we were, I mean, come on, we took notes on ourselves back then. We were, we were awesome, man. We were hunks, and now we're chunks, okay? But life happens to us. You go into life with an ideal, it becomes an ordeal, and sometimes we go looking for a new deal. Jesus when he was talking to his disciples, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You're not going to live this Christian experience in a magic bubble. It's not going to everything go your way. Sometimes you're going to be serving the Lord and doing everything you know to do, and all hell will break loose against you. Okay? I mean, think about the Apostle Paul, man. He was the Apostle Paul, but he was writing this letter from prison. Okay, come on. But I came to tell you today, when God is in the equation of your life, you can't dream big enough and you can't pray big enough. Never lose your ability to dream and pray big prayers because when God is in the equation, all he needs is a moment to change everything. Did you know that? All he needs is a moment to change everything. So I want to ask you, what do you pray about most and what do you dream about happening in your life, okay? 
Now, based on those two questions, I want to give you five realities from this passage, okay? Okay, now I'm operating from the premise that this message doesn't have to be everlasting to be eternal, okay? So we're not going to be here all day, but I just, I, I just love to give points, okay? Man, I've spent some time in church, man, and I recognize those preachers that are, that are going to go on and on, okay? And I'm not, okay? I'm not because sometimes I don't even want to hear me, okay? Okay? So here's the two questions. What do you pray about most? And what do you dream about happening in your life? The first thing I want you to see from this passage is God is able. God is able. Come on, say that with me. God is able, okay? The word able is the Greek word dunamai. It means has supernatural and miraculous power to do and to accomplish that very thing. One of the greatest attributes of God is he is almighty, okay? which means there's nothing impossible with him. It is the Hebrew word Shaddai. And this Hebrew word first shows up in Genesis chapter number 17. God had come across the path of a guy named Abraham, and he had given him an awesome, awesome promise that he was going to give him kids. He was going to give him a land flowing with milk and honey. He was going to do some awesome things in his life. Now, how many of you know God's always on time, but he's seldom on our time, okay? And so God had given Abraham this promise, and it had been 24 years since that, and nothing had changed, okay? And so in this passage, in this experience, in Genesis chapter number 17, God shows back up in Abraham's life, and he says, Abraham, I know it's been a long time, but I want to tell you I am almighty, and I am able. Now, maybe you're here today and you feel like God has promised something to you or you've been praying for something for a long time or God put a dream in your heart a long time ago and nothing has changed or nothing has happened. I came to tell you today that nothing is impossible with God. He is still almighty and he is still able. What are you praying about? What are you dreaming about? Maybe you feel you can't do it, but when you bring God into the equation of your life, he is able. Isn't that cool? Say that with me. He is able. He's able. You know, actually, the word able and the word almighty means burly, okay? God's burly, okay? He's husky. He's husky. So he kind of looks like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, he doesn't look anything like this. Thank the Lord. Okay, so you with me? So the first thing we got to know, whatever you're praying about, whatever you're dreaming about, God is able. Secondly, not only is he able, but he's able to do immeasurably more. Okay, immeasurably more than whatever we're praying for and whatever we're dreaming about. Immeasurably more is the Greek word hooper. It means above and beyond, a lot more, a place infinitely higher than what is being asked for or dreamed about. Now, why is this? Because the nature of your supply is determined by the nature of your supplier. And because God is so far greater than us, then he is not limited by the same things that limit us. Okay? He is immeasurable. 
Romans chapter number 11, verse 33 says this, that his paths and his ways are beyond tracing, mapping, or measuring out. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what he has prepared for them that love him. And so when you're praying and when you're dreaming and God is in the equation of your life, not only is he able to do that, but he will do immeasurably more. Why? Because he is immeasurable. Isn't that great? There was a story told about a guy who was out fishing. A couple of guys were out there fishing. And this one guy kept on pulling in fish, man. He was pulling in these really big fish. And he kept throwing the big ones back. And then he'd pull in small ones, and he'd keep the small ones. And this, this got on this, this other guy's last nerve because he wasn't catching anything, you know. And finally he said, dude, what is wrong with you? You keep throwing back the big fish, and you keep keeping the small fish. What is the deal? He said, well, I only have a six-inch frying pan, and the, and the big fish won't fit in my frying pan, so i got to throw them back. Don't we do that with God? Hello. You know, and I want to ask you this. How big is your frying pan? Okay, because I want to tell you this. When you're factoring God into your life, you need to get a bigger frying pan. Come on, nudge that person by you and say you need a bigger frying pan. Come on. Amen. Why? Because not only is he able, but because he is immeasurable, because he do, does things in excess, then what he does will be immeasurable too. See, Paul is saying that he is able to do immeasurably more than whatever you dare to ask for or even imagine. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Now, the third thing that I want you to see from this passage, you still with me? Okay. You still with me? Okay. Is he wants his awesome power to work in you and I. And so he says this. He says, he'll do immeasurably more than we could dare to ask for or even imagine according to his power that is at work in us. Now, I, I mentioned the word dunamai, which means, you know, almighty. And there is a word that means that is dunamis, which describes the power that an almighty one does. And that is the power that he's talking about. You see, Almighty God wants to put His almighty power inside of you so you, an ordinary person, can do extraordinary things. That's what happened in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, God came down by the power of His Holy Spirit and did awesome things, not because they were awesome, but because the one inside them was awesomely powerful. It's kind of like the little girl who went to Sunday school one day and gave her life to Jesus. And she had heard about how big God was, and she started doing the math. And so she came home, and she was kind of freaked out. And she said, Mom, if God is so big, and I'm so little, and I just accepted him into me, won't he stick out? Yeah, that's exactly what it's all about. It's not about Pastor Justin. It's, it's not about, you know, all of you amazing people, and you're amazing, you know. It's about the amazing God that lives inside of you. God wants to set his power inside of you so that he can stick out and so that you can do amazing things for him. Amen? And so God is able. He's able to do immeasurably more. 
than anything you could pray about or anything that you could dream about. And he wants to put his awesome power inside of you so that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Now, the next thing I want you to see is this. He wants to put his glory on display in our lives. Okay? So he says this in verse 21. To him be glory in the church. Okay? Now, when he's talking about the church, he's not talking about a building. You know that? Okay? He's not talking about a denomination. You know? The word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means a gathering of people. Okay? Here we got a gathering of people. But it's a gathering of people called out for a holy purpose. And I believe that that is what Foundry Church is all about. You are a gathering of people. But you're not just hanging out on Sunday because you've got nothing else to do. Hello. How many of you the bed felt pretty good today? Come on. Come on. Hello. Okay. But you came out on Sunday, and down in Howard County where our church is, 90% of the people in Howard County are unchurched. In other words, you know, exponentially more people stayed in bed than went to church that day. But you all chose not just to come to church, but you chose to be the church. And when you show up and you give yourself to God, then what God wants to do is what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter number 16. He wants to build a church, which means he wants to build people that the gates of hell can't prevail against. That he can put his glory inside of. Now, the word glory is an an awesome word. In the Hebrew, it is the word kabod. It means weighty presence or the full weight of one's presence. Now, in the Greek, it is, it is the word doxa, which is where we get the word doxology, which means a punctuation mark. So when God comes into your life, what he desires to do is to bring the full weight of everything he is to bear inside your life so that wherever you go, you bring the doxology. You bring the punctuation mark. People get excited about what is going on in the world, not because all hell is breaking loose, but because you bring heaven into their hell. Amen? Come on. Now, how many of you want some glory in your life? Come on. How many of you have had some glory and you want some glory, all right? And he wants to change your tale of tragedy into a story of glory, okay? Now, say, come on, how many of you want some glory? Come on. It's okay. You can lift your hand. Glory's good, okay? Okay? Now, let me just give you a little bit of a warning, because this really sounds exciting, but God will often bring you to the doorway of his glory, but sometimes it's hell in the hallway, okay? Now, some of you are like, I think I'm going to put, I want to take that back. I don't want glory, okay? Now, let me give you an example of this, okay? In the Bible, one of the greatest stories in the Bible happens in John chapter number 11, and it happened to one of Jesus' friends, Okay? His name was Lazarus, okay? How many of you know where I'm going with this, all right? Lazarus, okay? Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus, okay? He was close to Jesus. Whenever Jesus came by, you know, he'd stay at the house. Well, one day Lazarus got sick, and we find out how close Jesus was to Lazarus because his sister Martha sends word, hey, the one you love, that is the Greek word philos, which means your very close friend, is sick, okay? Now, you would think that since Jesus, this was his very close friend, he'd hop on his horse, man, and he'd get there, you know. But the Bible says he waited two more days, okay? In other words, he waited for things to get worse. Now, let me say this, and I know you're not going to say amen to this, okay? Sometimes it's going to get worse before it gets better. 
because God is setting you up, okay? You know, it's it's not all tiptoeing through the tulips and, you know, everything good happening for you. Sometimes you got to go through hell in the hallway to get to the doorway of his glory. Amen? There's a story told of a billionaire. And this guy, was a, he was a little eccentric, you know. And in his backyard, he had a swimming pool. And it was, it was full of alligators, okay? And so he had this party one day, and he also had a beautiful daughter, okay? He had this big party, and he announced at the party, he said, I'm going to give an opportunity for one of these guys. If you can swim across this pool of alligators without getting eaten, I will either give you my daughter's hand in marriage or I will give you a million dollars. All of a sudden, before he even finished speaking, there was a big splash and there was a dude that was wildly swimming across this pool. I mean, he jumps out on the other side and everybody's cheering and, and, and this billionaire's amazed. He said, that's awesome, young man. That's fantastic. Well, I made a promise. Do you want my daughter or do you want the million dollars? He said, sir, I don't want your daughter. I don't even want the million dollars. I want the name of the fool that pushed me in the pool. <laughs> you ever feel like somebody pushed you in the pool? You ever been just going through life, just kind of doing your thing, you know, zippity-doo-dah, you know, come on, you're having a good day. And all of a sudden, some old fool pushes you in the pool. Now, the Scripture said, now listen, God is bigger than the one that pushed you in the pool. God can take even what the devil intends for your harm and he can turn it for your good. Sometimes you'll get to glory by a taxi cab that is driven and paid for by the devil because God loves you and has an awesome plan for your life, but the devil hates you and he has a plan of ruin for your life, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? And so sometimes it's going to get worse before it gets better, but don't put a period where God has only put a comma. Keep on walking. And so Jesus waited a little bit. And sometimes, you ever been praying for something and praying for something and praying for something, or as they say down south, praying on something and praying? And it seemed, sometimes I just want to, folk are always coming to me saying, Pastor Ted, I need you to pray for me about this. And I want to say, no, you don't. You don't want me to pray for you. Okay? But the reality is, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He does things immeasurably more, way different than we do. And so sometimes... What God is setting up, we think we're getting put down. We think we're going down. But God has a plan. So even though you're walking and you start walking and you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, keep walking till you get to the place to where goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. Don't put a period where God has put a comma. And so the Lord waited. And what happened? His friend, his very close friend that he loved, died. And he shows up late. You ever had that? Come on, man. You know, and, and his, his, uh, his friend's sisters got a little passive-aggressive with him, you know. You ever gotten passive-aggressive with the Lord? I have. I remember one time I, I told the Lord, I said, 
You're a liar. I don't recommend doing that, by the way. But what happened was my, my wife, who was pregnant with our second son, she was having a lot of problems. And the doctor said, in order for you to survive, you need to abort this child. Everything we'd prayed, we'd fasted, we'd done everything we knew to do. We were trying to live right before the Lord. And it kept going downhill. I'm so glad that the Lord didn't make me a grease spot on the carpet because he knew I didn't see what he saw. See? And he had a lot of problems, but he was born prematurely. He was in the hospital for in intensive care for a month. But flash forward about 15, 16 years, and God gave my wife the opportunity to, to be the executive director at a crisis pregnancy center. And every day she had girls come in in crisis situations in her pregnancy. And they could say, ma'am, you don't understand. And she would say, I know exactly what you're going through. And I want you to know this is what God did in my son's life. They said he would be slowly developed. He would be small. He would be, you know, not right. And he ain't right sometimes. <laughs> that he, he would have a lot of limitations. He's six foot three. He was a three-sport athlete in high school, went to, went to college on a football scholarship. And he was a gifted and talented student in school. You see, too many times we judge the situation before God's done. We get passive-aggressive with God. Well, God, if you just would have been here, things would have been different. Now, let me ask you this question. This is like one of those I call a duh question, Okay. What would bring God more glory? For God to heal Lazarus or for God to raise him from the dead? Duh, right? And so one of the greatest miracles in the Bible was preceded by a great tragedy. Okay? How many of you want a miracle? Come on. You'd like to have a miracle. You know what the first ingredient of a miracle is? An impossible situation. How many of you still want a miracle? All right, you hear what I'm saying? And Jesus said before he went into this, this sickness is not for death. It won't end in death, but for the glory of God. And I want you to know that God wants to put in your life his glory on display. He wants to show up in your world and in your situation, and he is not limited by your circumstance. And when all hell is breaking loose and you're walking through a hellacious hallway through the valley of the shadow of death, keep walking till his glory comes. Amen. Now, the final thing that I want you to see is he wants to do this and he wants this to happen in all of us. It's not just for some folk. It's for all folk because he is a whosoever God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him. I love the word whosoever. It's the word pass in the Greek. It means if, if you're real, you know, educated, it means whomsoever, whithersoever. If you're just kind of regular, it means, uh, you know, everyone everywhere. If you're from the South, it means all y'all, all y'all, all y'all. You see, God wants to do all of this stuff in all y'all. Everyone that will call upon him, the scripture says, will be saved, will be rescued, okay? 
And so, so let me just remind you where we've been. What are you praying about? What are you dreaming about? He is able. He is able. And he is almighty. He can do immeasurably more than anything you could dare to ask for or even imagine. He wants to deposit his awesome power in your life and stick out of your life. He wants to show his glory in your life. And he wants to do these amazing things for all of us. Isn't that great? For all of us. Not that person by you and say, that's you. That's you. Well, Pastor Ted, you, you don't understand what I've done. I don't really care what you've done. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. What's happening right now? Right now, God wants to do above and beyond anything you could ask for or even dream about. So what do we do then, okay? And I love Paul ends with this word that, that we take for granted a lot. When, when you finish praying, you say what? You say amen, okay? But the reality is the word amen actually in the Hebrew breaks down into a four-type development, okay? Now, the first thing that this means is, okay, now, so what we need to do with all of this is we need to say amen, okay? Can you say that? Amen, okay? Now, the first thing that amen means is to respond. You see, God's Word and the promises of God's Word are so awesome, they demand our response, okay? Faith without works is what? It's dead. But faith with works is, is alive. So if something crawls up inside you today, which I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do in you, in your life, in this church, for something to crawl up inside you today, it is going to call for you to respond in some way. Okay? Now, I get the opportunity periodically to speak in African-American churches, and, man, it's like preaching heaven, you know? Because white folk, man, they're there sitting there looking at their watch, man. You know, okay, all right, all right. You know, point number 17, come on, man. You know, but when you're preaching in a, in a, in a down-home, throw-down African-American church, they make you preach better. And so, come on. And what folk don't realize is if you do that, you'll not only preach better, but you'll preach shorter. Come on. Happen, Jesus. Come on. And I was preaching one time at this church, Rehoboth Apostolic Church in Danville, Virginia. And, man, I was throwing it down, man. I was talking about when Jesus sat down at the right hand of God and why he sat down. But I came to a point at the end, I said, but one day he's not going to sit down anymore. He's going to get up, and when he does, he's going to get on his white horse. And there was a dude sitting behind me, Pastor Corey Terrain. He said, that's it. I can't take it anymore. And he got up and started running. And I said, you go on, man, you go on. Now, you probably not go run after this message, right? Unless you got to go to the bathroom or something. I don't know. But God's word demands we run with it. Come on, it's so good, it demands our response. Now, the second thing that the word amen means is to own what is said. Okay? Unfortunately, we own too many things that are, what are, that are said in our life. Some of you have had people speak damning words over your life, hurtful words over your life, 
words that put lids on the destiny of your life. And in Jesus' name, I dare you, I double, I triple dog dare you to reject those words and to receive the word that God has for you. To say, this is for me. I've been praying about some stuff. I've been praying on some stuff for a long time. I've been dreaming about some stuff. And I almost set my dream on the shelf, but I'm getting it back off the shelf because I own the fact that God is still able. He is still almighty. He can do above and beyond immeasurably more than I could dare to ask for or even imagine. He wants to put his awesome power inside of me. And he wants to put his display of his glory in my life. He wants to turn my life from a tale of tragedy to a story of glory. I own it. I own it. I own it. It's for me. And then the third thing it means is to commit to do what is being said. Okay? Unfortunately, what tends to happen is we hear a good word in church and then we walk out and we forget it. But we, what we need to do, and that's why I challenge our people to take notes. And I'm a note-taking guy. Whenever I'm sitting listening to somebody, you know, I, I write it down. But then what we need to do is we need to have an, implement, an implementation plan. Because the problem with many Christians is they got a poor IQ. Now, I'm not talking about their intelligence. I'm talking about their implementation. What is your implementation quotient? Is the level of your possessing equaling the level of God's promises? Because this this word right here, this book is filled with exceeding great and precious promises. There is nothing that you are facing today that God doesn't have a promise for that's greater than your problem or your dilemma. Okay? It is awesome. And so I want to challenge you with this. Raise your prayers back up. Get your dream off the shelf. God can do it. Begin to write out a plan. How am I going to put this into practice in my life? Not only how does this work on church on Sunday, but how is this going to work tomorrow? Amen? Commit to do what is being said. The final thing it means is, to join with others who are saying amen. I'm so glad that I'm not doing this thing by myself. Amen? One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to isolate people, to get them by themselves. The church is God's idea because he knew that we needed to do, to do life with other people. Amen? I, I'm excited about what's happening here in Morgantown. You know, every time that Pastor Justin calls me. Uh, if it's been a while, I, I start getting antsy. Because I'm excited about what's happening here. Because I believe in this place. Because before you guys ever met, before you tore out the walls, I heard the dream of his heart. As he shared about what God was putting in his heart. And I would say to you guys, to you, the dreams that you have for this church God is able. He's able. Jordan, I think about the, the dreams that God put in you guys' heart to leave Texas, hello, and come to West Virginia. 
to start a Chi Alpha, God is able. Whatever God has put in your heart, God is able. He's still able. And not only that, but he's almighty, okay? And not only that, but he's, he's not just going to able to do what you come up with. Hello? That's a good idea, but he's going to give you God ideas. And he's going to blow it up. Why? Because he can't fit in your pan. Hello? Come on. And the way that's going to happen is not by your might, not by your power, not by your intellect, but by his Holy Spirit power, which is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that took a guy named Peter, who days before had denied knowing Jesus three times. Epic failure, man. The Holy Spirit came in him, and the first sermon he preached, 3,000 people came to Jesus. That's awesome. He wants that power to be in you. And and he wants his glory not to be there, there, or there, but to be in you. Amen? And it can happen for any of us, anytime. Because all he needs is a moment to change everything. Amen? If you would, I want you to stand up with me, if you will. I hope this is spoken to you. That it's not just the ravings of a madman. I am kind of crazy. But I believe in this stuff. And you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a church dude. I've heard it all, man. I've heard more sermons than a church pew, man. Man, I, I had to go to women's meetings, you know. I mean, you know, I cleaned everything in the church. I did everything in the church. I got in trouble in the church. I got called out in church. I got taken out in church. I got grabbed and taken to the bathroom. And my heart and my hind parts got hands laid upon them, you know. I got whooped in church. I I saw people that weren't real. I saw people that were phony. But I have a hungering and thirsting for what is real. And God wants me to have it more than I want it. And he wants you to have it, Foundry Church. It's for you. Amen. The musicians can come up. I know I've gone a little bit long. If you guys could just come back up. I want to just lead you in a prayer. There was a group of people that were a church, but they were also more of an awakening spiritual community. And they got their name as a derogatory term. They were they called them Quakers. And the reason why was because they just sat there until God started moving on them. And when he did, they just started quaking, which is kind of weird. But, you know, when you get a hold of God, it's kind of like grabbing an electric fence. Something's going to happen, all right? And before the Quakers would end their service, they would pray this prayer and I want to ask all of you to just hold your hands down like this Lord we we turn our hands down because we want to turn loose of anything that is in our hands that has taken up space that you want to fill if there are habits if there are sins 
if there are even good things that are keeping us from the best things in our life, we want to turn them loose. We don't want them to be there anymore. We don't hold on to them. We let go of them, Lord. And then they would turn their hands up. Would you do that now? So, Lord, now as we hold our hands up, our hands are empty. And, Lord, we believe that you want to fill our lives and fill our hands with the awesome things that you have promised from your word. God, I pray for each and every person in this place, Lord. Lord, you know that there are some in here that have lost things in their life. There are some in here that that are desperately hungry for a real move of God in their life, for God to show up. There are some that that kind of feel dead like Lazarus was. God, I pray that you will move into their emptiness. You'll move into their death. You'll move into the pain. And you will replace it with your healing, with your joy, with your fullness, Lord Jesus, with your freedom, God. And then the final thing that these Quakers would do is they would lift their hands up. Would you do that now? So, Lord, we lift our hands up for two things. First of all, to surrender. Would you just surrender to him? We surrender to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, your word is so good, Lord, that we can trust it. And your track record is so awesome that we can trust you. And so today we surrender to you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that however you got to do it, that you'll do this stuff that Paul was praying for 2,000 years ago. When he was sitting in a jail, he was still praying for those folk. And we know this is your heart today, Lord. And so we surrender our lives to your plan and we pray that you will make us your obedient kids, Lord Jesus. But Lord, we also hold up our hands in praise and in thanks and in honor because you have been good to us. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy because we didn't get what we deserved. Thank you, Lord, for your grace because we got what we didn't deserve, Lord. And God, thank you that every single day that when we wake up, we wake up to a brand new opportunity for you to do amazing things in our life. And so we give you praise. And before anything ever happens, Lord, we say thank you. And now, Lord, I pray for this church, Lord Jesus. And Lord, more than I believe in this church or Justin and Kara or Rob and Christy and the leaders believe in this church. You believe in this church. And I pray that you will do such an amazing work in Morgantown, Lord, that the gates of hell can't prevail against it, Lord, that this building doesn't hold the people, Lord, that are coming to you and being redeemed and getting a brand new future, Lord. God, I pray that you will do awesome things that only you can give credit for. And we will give you praise. In the awesome name of Jesus, Lord, we pray.